All right, let's go. Uh, famous shipwrecks. Titanic. Titanic. Yawn. Yeah. Okay. Any others? The Jacaranda. What? No, I didn't know that one. There's a surprise. What the Volrod Voltamado? Who said that? Yeah. Flip. What? The World War I. Yes, there was a South African ship um, filled with South Africans in World War One that got sunk. Yeah, that's right. The Oceana. Yeah. The Frying Dutch. No, the Flying Dutch. Hey, what? Poseidon. Was that a shipwreck? That was a movie, wasn't it? That was a book. Yeah. It's not a ship. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, the Lusitania. Yeah, heard that one. Yeah, that started off well. It didn't. That brought America into World War One. Um, the Achille Lara. Well, there's lots of exciting ones. Here's one too that you may not know about. Ever heard of the White Ship? So the White Ship, November 1120. That's 1120. Uh, King Henry the First was in France with his family. He got in the ship and went back to England. And his only son and heir was going to get in the ship and follow behind. Um, so he and all his friends got onto the white ship and there were about 300 people on the ship. Uh, the sailors asked for wine. The prince uh, provided wine in abundance. Um, and then a whole bunch of the royal family said, uh -uh, we're not staying on this boat. They got off because of the excessive binge drinking that was taking place on the boat. They then headed across the channel and surprise, surprise, the boat sank. 300 people dead. The only survivor was a butcher from France. The, the long-term ramifications of that is that because the only son and heir of the British throne, the English throne, had died, when Henry himself died, no one had a clue as to who should be king or queen next. And so you had Matilda and Stephen fighting it out. Uh, and it plunged, that ship plunged England into civil war that lasted for several years and resulted in the death of thousands. Just from one stupid little ship. Here's a couple of others that are, that are waiting to be discovered. There's some exciting ones. You can go and look for the Royal Merchant. It got sunk off the coast of Cornwall in 1641. It was carrying with it 50 tons of gold. Valued today of around about a billion pounds. There was a Portuguese ship around about the same time with of even more value, the Flor de Mar. Um, it was sailing on its way from the Americas back to Portugal going for repairs, but also taking cargo with it, um, gold and um, jewels, to the value of, in today's terms, about two billion pounds. So if you can dig up one of those, you'll be doing well. I think one of the lamest shipwrecks I've ever heard of was Jenny's shipwreck, Jason's mom. Um, she, do you remember that? You must know. She went, she went on a tour of Europe and cruised down the Danube or the Rhine or one of those, right? And she got onto one of those cruise ships and the, the pilot reversed it out of the harbour and bumped into the harbour wall. Literally, dunk, right? It was enough to spill a few drinks. Apparently, I think one person broke an arm. There were a couple of people with bruises. But I mean, the whole thing, it was like, we're terribly sorry, we're pulling back into port. I mean, doctors and nurses on board. She said at every stop on the, on the way from there down, doctors and nurses flooded the ship, checking everyone out, checking their bruises, obviously just making sure that there was nothing to be sued. She got home and she had an email to say, um, 
because of the trauma, you will be, you've been given a free cruise on one of our ships. And then a, a month later, they said, because of the trauma, you're not only getting the free cruise, but we're pra- paying your airfare as well. <laughs> All because you like, that, that's the kind of shipwreck I want to be part of. <laughs> We're going to read about another shipwreck this morning in Acts chapter 27, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. It's a long passage to read, but hey, um, it's always fun reading about shipwrecks. So, Acts chapter 27, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Andometrium, uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the, to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we'd sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. Are you paying attention to where we're going here? Um, this is going to be a quiz later. Um, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of La Cie. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. And so Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. A clear clue that the majority is not always right. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, and so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ships itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of, si- of Syracuse, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail for Crete. Don't you hate that guy? You know. <laughs> then you would have been spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. 
Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings, found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he says, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So I know we've just had a bit of a tour of the eastern Mediterranean, up the coast of Palestine into the edges of Turkey and then back down around Crete. It's been all over the place. Um, so, so here's the thing, right? The, the Romans back then didn't really have much of a navy. And so if you were going to transport a prisoner back to Rome, you would just simply commandeer a ship that was going in your general direction. And so that's what the centurion Julius has done. He's found a ship that's going north, and he's grabbed that one. And when that ship's not going to go left, I don't know, whatever, west, that direction, he simply commandeers another ship, and off they go, heading to, to Rome. But it's late in the year, and the issue is that you don't, back then anyway, you didn't sail on the Mediterranean from about mid-October. From mid-October, it was a bit dodgy. From mid-November, you definitely don't sail. You wait until spring because the winter storms are simply too much to bear. The ships back then were not quite fitted in the same way that the ships of today are. But even today's ships, even the Russian oligarchs, they tend to park their yachts um, for the winter because it's just not fun being on the sea uh, at this time of year. And so... Um, so the problem is, though, that these guys wanted to get to Rome. Not only did they want to get Paul to Rome, they've got a ship full of cargo. They've got grain. 
And it's no good sitting with that in harbour for three months letting it rot. You want to get the grain to harbour and sell it, right? I mean, that's the whole point. You don't want your ship sitting idle with a bunch of sailors. That's a waste of income. But Paul is the one, Paul's a seasoned traveller, he's done this often enough to know that this is not a good time to sail, but the centurion, understandably so, listens to the words of the pilot and the ship, the ship owner, the captain and the owner of the ship, uh, who is eager to get his cargo there, and he says, we'll be fine, it'll be great. They take a vote, show of hands, democracy at its finest, where we always choose the worst option. And it all goes pear-shaped. And the wind hits and the sailors can do nothing except go, for, go with the flow. And for two weeks, 14 days, living through a storm that threatens to sink the ship, send them all to Davy Jones's locker. And part of me wants to go, why on earth did God allow this to happen? Why does God make it so difficult for Paul to get to Rome? I mean, this is God's plan. It's God's intention that Paul gets to Rome. God is sending Paul to Rome. Could he not have just made smooth sailing for Paul? Why make it difficult? Why send Paul through a storm? And of course, it's not the first time that God sends his disciples through the storm. You remember in the Gospels where Jesus is with the disciples and says to the disciples, you need to get in the boat and go to the other side. And in fact, the Gospels tell us that it goes like this, that Jesus compelled them to get into the boat. He literally had to force them to get into the boat. And of course, halfway through their journey to the other side, what hits them? A storm. And the disciples are like, oh, you're asleep. You don't care if we drown. Right? Remember that? And you're like, why? Why did Jesus send them through the storm? Why, why not just let them sail on smooth seas? Every one of us has sailed through a storm of one kind or another. We, we endured the storms and floods in April. Some people are still in fear when the rain comes. But let's be a little bit, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say allegorical, but I'm not sure if that's the right word. But, you know, in the storms that we face, not just the actual rain, but the fact that our lives get stormy sometimes. And I know some of the things that some of you have sailed through over the last year, two years. I know some of the things that some of you are still sailing through. And you're still in choppy waters. I know some of the storms that some of you are facing right now. I know what it looks like when your ship is in trouble. And it looks like things are about to spring a leak. And what I want us to do this morning is just look at this passage and see a couple, there are a couple of really cool, I think very helpful uh, phrases that Paul, or that Luke uses here rather, just to express some of the stuff that's that we face in our storms too. And the first phrase that is, I think it's cool, but it's terrible, is where, where, Paul, where Luke says this, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It's kind of a bleak place to be, isn't it? And a bleak place to start a sermon. So, they sail out of the harbour at Crete, and they're hoping to literally sail along the shoreline. They're not going far. They're sailing around the corner to another harbor on the island of Crete. Crete is not very big. For those of you who may have been there, it's not, 
It's not huge. So to sail from one little harbor around the corner to the other little harbor, it's a short, it's a short little trip. It doesn't look like a big deal. They're just not going to be out, out of sight of land at all. And it seems like that's going to be the safe option. The harbor they're currently in is exposed to the winter winds. The harbor they're heading for will be nice and sheltered. So they've given up all hope of getting to Rome. They're just going to shelter in a nice sheltered harbor in Crete. But I love it. They're in a place called Fair Havens. Ever been to Fair Havens? Ever like staying in Fair Havens? Fair, I mean, haven just means a place of safety and refuge. Fair just means nice, right? When the, weather's, the weather is not fair today. Fair weather is, you know, blue skies. And there they are in, in Fair Havens. And they wake up one morning to blue skies and a nice, gentle breeze from the south. That's the place where all of us want to be most of the time. In a fair haven with blue skies and a gentle breeze, right? Everything's nice, everything's calm, everything's peaceful. And again, I, I love the phrase that Paul or that Luke uses when he says, they thought that they had obtained everything that they wanted. Ever lived in that place? In a fair haven, and you've got everything that you think you need for life to be wonderful, right? Blue skies, gentle breeze blowing through your hair, blowing your hair back. You've got everything that you've hoped for, and everything is looking like you. It's just you're ready to that gentle breeze sailing off into the sunset. It's going to be lovely. And we've had a lot of fair havens, haven't we? You, you, there, there's a lot of us, most of us at some point, have, have found just that nice, comfortable place where everything is going to plan. You walk down the aisle and say, I do, with the air gently blowing and the veil you know, <coughs> wafting in the breeze. You've signed the contract and you're ready to launch your business on the smooth seas for smooth sailing that's to come. Your kids have been accepted into the best school and it's all signed up and ready to go. It, it's the, the monopoly game of life and you've just picked up that chance card that says the tax, pay, tax man owes you millions. Everything's great, right? You've all been in those moments. And then seemingly, out of nowhere, the wind shifts direction and it goes from this gentle south breeze to a northeaster hurricane. And it sweeps down on you before you can even blink, before the, before the sailors can do anything. This wind has come out of nowhere and that little card you were holding in your hand just got blown away. And the I do's become I don'ts and I won'ts. And there's a lump that you've just found. That shouldn't a lump where there shouldn't be a lump. And the other guy's in breach of contract. And the smooth sailing has got a little bit choppy all of a sudden. And the kids in that fancy school are all on drugs. And the storm hits. And you're just swept along. Maybe it's not a Maybe it's not a shipwreck, it's a car wreck. And that storm has come, and you're blown along by it. And there's nothing you can do, because that's where these guys are finding that they're just 
blown along by the wind. Nothing they can do to stop it. In fact, you can barely secure the lifeboat, whatever your lifeboat might be, that last little bit of savings or whatever. You barely have time to secure that. They're passing ropes under the ship to tie it together. You're being barely held together. Wrapping yourself in cotton wool, hoping that you won't fall apart emotionally. There's a fear that you might just get run aground. And you begin jettisoning cargo. You start throwing overboard the things that were valuable and precious to you. You've dug into your retirement annuity. You've sold your guitars. You only do that after you've already sold your kids. Because <laughs> there's just some things, right? The things that you valued when things were nice and smooth have gone out the window. Paul's ship takes a violent battering. And you feel that chemo is pretty violent on your body. And the emotions inside just rip you up, right? Can I point out that all that happens on day two? <laughs> this is only two days into the storm. They've got another 12 days to go. Day three, they're throwing the tackle overboard. They're throwing over the things, not just the things that are of value, but the things that actually will hold us to, the things that are actually useful, the things that you need. Neither sun nor stars come out for days. You've been there. Where it just seems black and dark. And no sign of light at all. You know, they say the light at the end of the tunnel is a, it's a flamethrower. You know, it's that kind of, is the even a light? And that phrase at the end of this little section, after many days, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Who gave up hope? The captain, I'm sure. The sailors, yep, the soldiers. Paul says, or sorry, Luke says, I keep saying Paul, Luke. Luke says, we. That means he included himself. Luke, the guy who wrote the majority, well, the, 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 yeah, the significant portion of the New Testament gave up hope of being saved. Who's he including in the we? I'm guessing he's including Paul and Aristarchus. We gave up hope. This, after our sermon last week, where Paul was in front of Agrippa and Bernice preaching about hope. About the hope that we have. And now here I am on a ship three days into the storm, and I've given up all hope of being saved. I know I'm painting a bit of a bleak picture this morning and perhaps not all of us 
can exactly identify with this. Perhaps not all of us here have been and in that place where it is completely dark and you have given up all hope. But I think we've all been in a place where it is at the very least the horizon has been dimmed. I think we've all, to some extent, experienced just a moment of that depression that settles and the sadness that, that lingers. This is our true human experience. And there are moments in life where it feels like all hope is lost. And I don't know what it is that will do that for you. I, some, some of you know exactly what did it. Some of you, it's still to come. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is that will send you there. And I, I, I pray that the darkness never descends. But I think most of us will experience something along these lines. Some of it, some, for some of us, brief. For some, long Moments of despair where we give up, moments of loss, where the depression sets in, where we finally give up all hope of being saved. And that's, that's a hard place to be in. It's a hard place to find ourselves. What do we do in those moments? How do we maintain some measure of hope when it seems like there is no hope? seems to work easier for some than others because an angel appears to Paul. Wouldn't it be nice if in the very bleakest, darkest moments of your life, when the storm hits, if an angel actually appeared to you? Wouldn't that change things? So, so let, me, let me help you, try and help you a little bit this morning. I, I, I know that I'm not particularly angelic. Um, I've had my wings clipped. My halo is in for repairs. It's faulty. Um, but a, 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 an angel really just means messenger. The word angel just means messenger. And Paul has had a messenger. Um, now, true, Paul had a heavenly supernatural messenger. I am neither heavenly nor supernatural. Um, I'm trying to even think what my, super, my, my, my superhero talent is, and I'm not sure if I have one. Um, but I will try and be a messenger this morning. And let me try and communicate the message that Paul's messenger communicated. And the messenger, there were, there were, there were three or four things there. Number one, the angel says, do not fear. So Paul says, an angel appeared to me and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Which is great, because the only reason that the angel needed to say, do not be afraid, Paul, is because Paul was afraid. Which is cool to hear, I think. That the heroes of the Bible are not these supermen who never have any sort of human experience. Paul was afraid. Paul's on a ship, the ship is going to sink, and Paul was afraid. Paul knew what fear is. Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, they're afraid, and they had very real reason to be afraid. This is not some kind of irrational fear like catagelophobia, which is the fear of embarrassment. Any of you feel that? Mm. Or pog pogonophobia. 
The fear of beards. <laughs> That's why some of you didn't like it when I had a big beard. It wasn't preference, it was fear. Or um, the fear of the, the paraskivideketriophobia. It's almost today. It's the fear of Friday the 13th. I'll tell you, this is quite amusing, I think, anyway. Um, I prepared this uh, on Friday, kind of got it all together. Friday lunchtime, I went for a little run just to get the blood flowing. And while I'm running, I'm rehearsing the sermon in my head. And I come around the corner of our road, running down the, down the street. Um, and um, I, I get to this place about fear in my head. And I'm thinking through and talking, you know, kind of preaching the sermon to myself. I couldn't pronounce Paraskevidecatriophobia on my run. I couldn't do that. But I'm like, the fears, and I see, as I'm talking about the fears, I see this movement out of the corner of my eye, and I glance, and a snake is coming towards me. I kid you not. And I mean, you see it, and the, the, it, unfortunately, I'm running so fast, the snake has no chance. <laughs> so I mean, I jump. And I look back to see, and, and it's just a bush snake, okay? But it was a big one. He was like properly this size. And he's across the road, and his head's up, and his tongue's out. And I was like, that, just that little moment initially of <gasps> fear, right? And then off he was into the grass. I went to look, and he'd gone. Yeah, he's, he was scared of me. <laughs> sure. But the, the, right, there's fears, and then there's fears. And Paul and the guys are facing real fear there is a real likelihood of death this has been days and days without end no wonder there is real fear on the ship and an angel appears to paul and says don't be afraid and you've got to go it's easy for the angel to say right the angel's got wings can fly off whenever it wants but when you're the one in the boat riding out the storm how on earth do you not give in to fear when the money is running out, and when the disease is spreading, and, and when, when it, it continues to be, I won't, I won't, I won't. How do you just go, oh, I'm not going to be afraid. I'll just be brave. Here's what I think helps Paul face and overcome his fear. It's a lot more than just the presence of an angel, because I think a lot of us were like, yes, well, if I had an angel standing next to me, I wouldn't be afraid either. I, I, I get that. But for Paul, it's more than that, because Paul is able to say, the God whose I am and whom I serve. The God whose I am and whom I serve. The God that I belong to and the God that I serve. Because of that, I don't need to be afraid. And I think that it's just possible that the presence of the angel reminds Paul of whose he really is and who it actually is that holds Paul's life together. And so when the angel says, Paul, don't fear, Paul is able to go, that's right, because I belong to God, not the sea. I belong to God, not Davy Jones's locker. In the long, dark night of your soul, in the midst of your storm, you may, may need to just ask this question, to whom do I belong? And it's church on Sunday morning, and it's raining, and it's easy in church to say, I belong to Jesus. But is that actually the case? Is that actually what it is? Who holds me? In what is my trust? In what is my hope? 
What do I serve? What do I worship? If you're relying on your well-designed boat to see you through the storm, be afraid. If you are relying on the great navigating skills of the captain that you have appointed, be very afraid. Because we appoint for ourselves Captain Self, Captain Wealth, Captain Health, list a few others. These are the ones that will see me through the storms and difficulties of life. And our ships will break up and our self-appointed captains will not keep us afloat. Paul doesn't say, don't be afraid, we've got a fantastic ship. Don't be afraid, we've got a great captain. Don't be afraid, we've got some wonderful sailors here. Paul's very clear. I belong to Jesus. I am his. Second thing that comes from the angel through Paul to the rest of them is, Paul says, keep up your courage. The ESV says, take heart. And I quite like that phrase as well. Just take heart. Take heart. I like that. Be of good courage. Now, how do you find courage when you're not feeling very, I don't know, what is it? Brave. There's another word that appears later on in the story that comes up again and again in Scripture that, that sounds suspiciously similar to courage or it's just got a little extra to it. It's the word encourage. And we know what encourage is. We know what it is to encourage someone, to come along and say, hey, well done, that's nice, good for you, we're pleased and we're proud of you. Do, do you know what encouraging someone does? I think it puts courage in them. I think encouraging someone builds courage. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you are able. I guess the angel builds courage in Paul, and Paul is now building courage in others. And again, there's more than just building courage. How does that go about? Paul says, be of good courage. Why? Because I have faith in God. That's what he says. Be of good courage because I have faith in God. In the darkest storms, when all hope seems lost, Paul says, I have faith in God. My faith, my trust, my, my confidence is in Him. My faith is not in the boat. My faith is not in the captain. My faith and hope and trust is in God Himself. And again, it's not just in God. He, because again, that can sound just a little bit trite, doesn't it? Just have faith in God. Have faith in Jesus. But Paul says a little bit more. He says, I have faith not only in God, but in God's words. Paul says, God has spoken and said, I will be, I'll, I'll go stand before Caesar. I have faith in God's word that this will happen. Now, you may not have had an angel who has told you that you're going to go to Rome. But we do have God's word, don't we? We do have his word before us. And we can hold on to courage because we have faith in God and in his word. We can take God at his word. It is certain and sure. Then there's a little thing they do in, between, in the midst of that. So, right, so it's, it's uh, uh, what was the first one? Do not fear, keep up your courage. And then, I love this, finally, at the end, day, day 13, day 14, I guess, they prayed for daylight. <laughs> Isn't that an important thing to do? 
And you might just wait until the 14th day for that to happen, but pray for daylight. Pray for, for some of us, prayer is the first, first resort. Prayer is the very first thing we do when the storm hits, it's into prayer. And that's fantastic. But for a lot of us, prayer is sometimes the last resort, right? When nothing else works. Whether it's the first resort or the last resort, pray. And pray. I, I, I love the simpleness of it. It's not even that they prayed for the storm to go away or pray for deliverance. They prayed for daylight. We just want to have a little bit of light. And for some of us, that's, that's all we want, right? Well, it's not. We want more than that. But it's a start. That's the starting point of what we want. Just to see a little bit of light. Just a little ray of sunshine. Just for a moment in the midst of my darkness. Just a little, just a little bit. Pray. Pray for daylight. And then, I love this. I love it when sermons are practical. Eat something, Paul says. Eat something. And, and Paul says all this some days before the storm runs up. We're not exactly clear when the angel came. Did the angel appear on the 13th night, on the 10th night, on the 7th night? I'm not quite sure when it was. But there's still been some storm to go and some to fa face. And often it feels like that, right? We need the faith and the courage, but the storm still rages. And after two weeks, the storm slows down and the, the seabed gets shallower. And Paul gets up again and says, hey guys, let's have something to eat. And he says, the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense. You know what another word for that is, I think? Anxiety. You've lived on your nerves. And you can understand that, right? 14 days in a storm, I'd be living on my nerves as well. So they've been living on their nerves for 14 days. Anxiety has run through them. It has been emotionally draining. They've lived on adrenaline and the adrenaline ran out 13 days ago. And again, some of you know what that's like. Some of you live on your nerves. Someone, some of you live on the edge all the time. Some of you constantly living in that state of, 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 of anxiety. Because of what's gone on. Because of the fear and the stresses and the strains. And Paul says, in the midst of that, because of your anxiety, here's what you need to do. Have something to eat. And I know sometimes you can't because, you know, knots in your stomach and you just can't bear the thought of food. But, but for some of us, it's the other way around. You know, the depression hits and, and so the, the, the thing to do is to uh, binge watch TV with a tub of ice cream. Um, don't do that either. Um, but eat something. And there's something supremely practical in this. In the midst of the storms, when the storms come... Take care of yourself. Take care of your health. Take care of your bodies. Sometimes I think we react so badly to storms, maybe because, uh, because our coping mechanisms are so poor and we simply fall apart. So eat something, not chocolate. Dare I say it, don't go to Milky Lane this afternoon after church. <laughs> For those who are laughing, I said last week we were talking about the hope of ice cream and apparently five or six people went to Milky Lane after church <laughs> to satisfy the craving, okay? I mean, awesome. <clears throat> Go for a walk. Get some exercise. Let the blood flow. Set some boundaries in your life. Figure out how to say no. 
It's just very, very practical. But there's a bit more going on here because I don't think Paul is just becoming the latest in, 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 in fad diets. Because it's not just about eating food. Because I love how, how it's stated that Paul then took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And what does that kind of remind you of? Communion, does it not? And I'm not saying that this became a deeply spiritual thing, but I do wonder if there was some sense of communion and that in communion and in this little bit of bread and this reminder of the gospel and this reminder of the death and resurrection of Jesus in the midst of our storms, there is sustaining power. Just as food sustains the physical body, the, the reminder of the gospel sustains us in our despair and hopelessness, in the darkness of the storm. Not to say that this little bit of bread and this bit of grape juice is going to sustain you today, but in a sense it does. It is, it is the body and blood of Christ. And take and eat and drink and be sustained in your hope and in your fears and in your sadness and in your despair. And the result of it is that it says that they were all encouraged. Right? Courage was built into them. They were encouraged by the enactment of the gospel. Final phrase this morning. And it's the last line of the chapter. Everyone reached the shore in safety. They all got to the other side. They may have looked like drowned rats, but they got there. Some swam. Some surfed in on a surfboard. Some, some clung to little bits of broken up ship. Some of them walked out of the surf. Some of them crawled out of the surf. I'm pretty sure that one or two were dragged out of the surf. Had to have their stomachs pumped. I'm pretty sure that none of them looked pretty. But they got to the other side. They all reached the shore in safety after they had given up all hope of being saved. When the storms hit, you will reach the shore safely. You might die. I'm not saying that, you know. You might die. In fact, in fact let me ch change that. You will die. Every one of you here is going to die, okay? Um, but even in death, you will reach that shore safely. You will cross the Jordan and reach the heavenly shore in safety. At the very least, you will do that. But even here and now, in the midst of the storms that we face now, God preserves us in the storms. And you might just be in the sixth month of your two-year storm. Sorry about that. But you will reach the other side in safety. You will get there, bedraggled, a little bit hungry. You might stagger out covered in seaweed and smelling suspiciously of fish. But God delivers his people. But God will get you there. Your boat is being beaten by the storm. Your anxiety levels are over the top. The exhaustion just won't end. It's dark and the storm rages. It's all looking pretty hopeless. But be of good courage. Remember whose you are. 
Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will get you to the other side. And I want you to hold firmly to that hope today. That he will get you to the other side in safety. So what we're going to do now in response is we're going to break bread. And we're going to be reminded of the gospel in this. And we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be sustained by the bread of life. And by the living water. And for those of you who are facing the storms right now, for those of you who are in the midst of it, I want you to really take this in and go, this, this bread, this wine will sustain me, will sustain my soul in the storms. Let's pray. Gracious Father, there are enough people here this morning who are facing the storms of life. There are enough people here today who know what it is to be in a place where it feels like there isn't much hope left at all. But Lord, would you encourage us this morning as we are reminded that we belong to you. As we are reminded this morning of your blood shed for us, your blood that purchased us and bought us out of darkness into light. As we eat and drink this morning, may this bread sustain us. Sustain hope in us. Fill us with hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. On the night that he was crucified, our Lord took the bread.